When an earthquake shook the ancient city of Philippi, there was one man whose life was immediately in crisis. He was the keeper of the jail in Philippi, and the earthquake had opened all the jail cells and let the prisoners free. He thought he would be executed because of his malfeasance. But the Apostle Paul told him in that moment not to worry, but to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing on Jesus is central to what it means to be a Christian. Here's Barbara Rainey. There are 84 uses of the word believe in the book of John. That's a lot of repetitions of one word. Jesus uses the word believe over and over again as a line in the sand, asking everyone in various ways, who do you believe that I am? There's no middle ground with Jesus on belief. Either we believe or we don't believe. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey and I'm Bob Lapine. Someone has famously said, when you finally get to the point where Jesus is all you have, you realize that Jesus is all you need. We'll hear more about that today from Barbara Rainey. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. Our listeners are going to get a chance to hear from your wife this week. I just was thinking about that. In fact, Bob, um, we've had a lot of really cool people on the broadcast, but uh, I was thinking who my favorite guest is we've ever had here on Family Life Today. We know who the answer better be. (laughs) (laughs) It's anything other than Barbara Rady. You're in big time trouble. (laughs) I am in trouble, but uh, I really like her, and she really enjoyed speaking to a group of, I think, close to 300 women at the Cove in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Of course, that's a beautiful spot over there. It was springtime when she gave this message. And she not only loved the time, she just was energized by the people she met, the radio listeners, people who've been to the weekend to remember those who've been through the art of marriage and looking forward to going through the art of parenting, Mm -hmm. which uh, we launched with the movie Like Arrows. And uh, we got a book coming out by the same name, The Art of Parenting. So when Barbara was working on the message we're going to hear this week, which is all about the fact that God is enough for us. Does she come to you as she's working on these messages and say, what do you think, and and Uh report, test things out? Uh Uh-huh, she does. And and, uh, I don't usually have much of a critique. I think she's a wise woman. I just say, sweetheart, share out of your life what he's done in your life. Our listeners would need to have known Barbara 45 years ago (laughs) when I first married her. Very, very shy, fearful. And this is by her own admission. And I think she she shares about some of this in this message today. But Jesus Christ has done a work in her heart and life. In fact, I just shared with you a few minutes earlier, Bob, she actually has enjoyed these speaking assignments. She said, I, I could do some more of this. Now, she's not interested in running around the country all over the place because we do have a bunch of grandkids that, that are kind of yapp- yapping at her heels saying, why don't you come see she's us? She's interested in running all over the country to see them. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And so am I, too, by the way. But this is a message that God had put on her heart. And I, I remember she was looking forward to delivering this message because it's a part of her story, isn't it? It is. And you'll hear her talk about it. All of us have uh, disabilities. Some are seen, some aren't. Some folks walk with a limp. We got a son who that's a reality for him as as a, a man, husband, and and father. But it's part of his story. Hmm. And Barbara shares a part of her story and uh, where her disabilities 
were. Well, let's get right to it. Here is Barbara Rainey and part one of a message on God being enough. How many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia to your children? Or you've read it yourself? Most of you, but not everybody. Okay, this is going to be fun because some of you are going to hear hear one of my favorite authors um, and something that he's written that I think is just as good for adults as it is for kids. So I brought my, my Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe book, and I'm going to read us a little story this morning. Everybody loves to be read to, right? So this is the story of four children who found their way into another land through the back of a wardrobe. And they were there, and here's what happened in chapter 7. Shh, look, said Susan. What, said Peter? There's something moving among the trees, over there to the left. They all stared as hard as they could, and no one felt very comfortable. There it goes again, Susan said presently. I saw it that time too, said Peter. It's still there, just behind that big tree. What is it, asked Lucy, trying very hard not to sound nervous. She was the youngest. They all saw it this time, a whiskered, furry face, which had looked out at them from behind the tree. But this time, it didn't draw back immediately. Instead, the animal put its paw against his mouth just as humans put their finger on their lips when they're signaling you to be quiet. Then it disappeared again. The children all stood holding their breath. A moment later, the stranger came out from behind the tree and glanced around as if it were afraid someone was watching. Hush, he said. I know what it is, said Peter. It's a beaver. I saw the tail. It wants us to go with him, said Susan. It's warning us not to make a noise. I know, said Peter. So the children got close together and walked up to the tree, and there, sure enough, they found the beaver. The beaver said to them, Are you the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve? It said, We're some of them, said Peter. Shh, said the beaver. Not so loud. We're not safe, even here. Why? What are you afraid of, said Peter? There's no one here but ourselves. There are the trees, said the beaver. They're always listening. Then it signaled to the children to stand as close as they possibly could, so their their faces were actually tickled by his whiskers. They say Aslan is on the move, he said. Perhaps he has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was, any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Shh, said Mr. Beaver, not here. I must bring you where we can have a real talk and also some dinner. So the children followed Mr. Beaver to his little home built out of sticks. They crawled in the home, and Mrs. Beaver was there cooking dinner. And they sat down, and they all had dinner, and they talked. And after dinner was over, they said together, Yes, please tell us about Aslan, several said at once, for once again that strange feeling, like the first signs of spring and like good news, had come over them. Who is Aslan, said Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver, why, you don't know. He's the king, he's the lord. He's the lord of the whole wood, but he's not often here, you understand. Never in my time or in my father's time, but word has reached us that he will come back. He is in Narnia, and he will make everything right. But shall we see him, asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's exactly why I brought you here. I'm to lead you to him, said Mr. Beaver. 
Is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan, a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, a great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, make no mistake. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what we said to you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good, I tell you. He is the king. He is the king. So we're going to talk about this God of ours. Who is good. He is very good. But he isn't always safe. And all my life I've wanted a safe God. I don't know about you, but I've wanted a safe God that I could understand. A God I could figure out. A God I could kind of put a formula to or some kind of system of rules to so I knew how he worked so it made sense to me. And I've learned the truth of Mr. Beaver's words that our God is very good but he is also not always safe. But I have learned that he is enough for my past and for my present and for my future. So this morning we're going to look at three different scripture verses about God the Father, one about God the Son, and about God the Holy Spirit the Trinity, and we're going to look at who they really are, and we want to, I'm hoping that as we do this, we will be humbled before their majesty, and we will be led to worship. First, um, we're going to talk about God the Son, and that he is enough for your past. God the Son is enough for your past, and we're going to look at a passage in the book of John. But before we do that, I wanted to tell you that there's a context to this passage. In fact, there's a context to all of the ones we're going to read because all of Scripture is written in the context of other things that are happening. And there are two things of context that I want you to be aware of as we read it. The first one is the word believe. There are 84 uses of the word believe in the book of John. That's a lot of repetitions of one word. Jesus uses the word believe over and over again as a line in the sand, asking everyone in various ways, who do you believe that I am? There's no middle ground with Jesus on belief. Either we believe or we don't believe. We're in unbelief. And in the context of our lives, where we find ourselves today, Jesus is still asking us today, who do you believe that I am? Interestingly, I looked up the word believe, and in the Greek, it's, it's a feminine verb. And I find it fascinating. I'm still hoping I can get to do some study on this more someday. But English doesn't have masculine and feminine assignments to all of our words. There, our words are just what they are. But there are a lot of languages that have masculine and feminine verbs, masculine and feminine adjectives and adverbs and nouns. Spanish does, Greek does, French does, a lot of them do. So in Greek... The word believe is a feminine noun. It means a conviction of truth. It means believing in God and divine things with the idea of trusting and having holy fervor. And it reminds me of the story of the, woman, the women who went to the tomb on Sunday morning. I think the women have a, had a greater capacity to believe. And I think that's a part of the reason why the word believe is a feminine noun, because I think we do. I think that's why Eve believed the serpent. 
I think we have a greater capacity to believe. Now, nobody has told me this who's a great theologian, but as I've looked at, looked at the way we're wired, the way we, we operate, one of the greatest gifts my husband says I've ever given to him is that I believe in him, and I've always believed in him. I believe in my children, and that belief empowers and fuels and strengthens those that we love. And I think that the women who went to the tomb, their faith in who Jesus was, was rewarded when they saw him first. I think Jesus honored and recognized their faith. They're quick to believe in him, faith, when they went to the tomb. So the word, of, the word belief is a part of the context of the story in John. And then secondly, this story is in John chapter 9, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there now. But the timing of this story is really interesting. It's the halfway point of Jesus' ministry. Two months earlier, Jesus had just been in Jerusalem, and he had celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, he had claimed to be the light of the world, which created a ruckus among the Pharisees. But he had stood up and said, I am the light of the world. Well, this story in John chapter 9 is happening um, in the month of December. And then this month is the Feast of Lights, the, feast, the Festival of Lights. And it's, we call it Hanukkah, or we know it is Hanukkah. So we're going to look at the story of John chapter 9 real quickly. Verse 1 says, And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. I want to talk for a couple of minutes about this man who was blind from birth. First of all, Jesus saw this man. The man didn't see him because he was blind. He couldn't see. But Jesus saw this man, saw his need, saw his heart, recognized who he was, and he knew, because he was fully God, that this man had been blind from birth. He knew that he needed help. Now, think about this man in his, in his life growing up. If he was born without sight, how did he function in the world? He had to have help for everything. So from the time he was born, he was dependent on people for everything, for his food, for his clothing, for his sustenance, for everything. This man was needy. When we look at the passage, we think he was probably of age, which meant he was probably 30 because he was allowed to go into the temple. He was grown. And I thought about how did he feel as a kid growing up, or how did he feel as a teenager, or even as a young man? And I would imagine he felt left out. My guess is there were times he was rejected. I think there were probably times he was made fun of. There were probably times when he was not allowed among the community of believers, because in those days, anyone who had something wrong with them was unclean, and they were cast out. And I'm wondering if he was trying to get well. Did he have hope anymore that he would get well? I don't know, but he'd always been this way. So I think it's entirely possible that he had no hope of ever being healed. I wonder if he had lost his initiative. So in this story, just in verse 1, we see that this man did not take the initiative, but Jesus took the initiative to reach to him, which is what he has done in all of our lives. We love because he first loved us. Jesus loved this man, and he reached out to him. Verse 2, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And I just love this because this is so who we are. The disciples wanted to know, not are you going to heal him, not what are you thinking about this man. They wanted to know whose fault it was. Why did they want to know whose fault it was? 
because they wanted to avoid a similar fate. And I think it's an issue of control, quite frankly. They, don't, they didn't trust God. We don't trust God because we think we can manage this. We think we can control the circumstances if we just figure out what's really going on below the surface. And then verse 3, Jesus answered and said, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. He didn't rebuke them for asking the question. He let them ask the question, and he turned it and showed them what the truth was. And the truth was, is that God wanted his glory to be seen. He wanted those who were there to watch Jesus' power and who he really was. There's a verse that I think is really interesting, Exodus 4.11. And the verse says this, God said to Moses, Who made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb or deaf? or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord, who was behind this man's blindness? It wasn't the parent's fault. It wasn't the man's fault. It was God who had his glory in mind. It was God who wanted to do something to demonstrate who he was to people. God intentionally made this man blind. That kind of sits wrong with us, doesn't it? Because we think of our God as a good God, and he is a good God. This is where he's not always safe. God intentionally made this man blind. He intentionally subjected him to decades of life with a handicap, a disability, and the man suffered for it. And we don't like that kind of God, do we? But the reason he did it, Jesus makes it really clear in verse 3, because God had a higher purpose in mind to display his glory. And as I thought about it, I thought if the man had been born whole, he would have never experienced the wonder of being healed. He wouldn't have appreciated it. But he lived with this blindness for so long that when Jesus healed him, he was exuberant. If you read the rest of the chapter, he couldn't stop talking about it. He was jumping up and running around and telling everyone what had happened to him. And we would too, right? The man knew he was blind and he understood his need for healing. Now... I want to turn this to us. What handicap were you born with that has never left you since birth? My handicap was not anything physical that could be seen or measured like blindness or deafness. My handicap, I always felt like, was that I was shy and I was insecure and I was quiet and I, didn't, I wasn't comfortable with people. And I remember going through high school and noticing people who were really popular, and they had fun, and they talked easily. And I remember thinking, why can't I be more like those people? Why can't I be like those friends of mine that I knew that I'd probably been in elementary school with? Why can't I be like that? And I tried to be different, and I couldn't break out of my shell. And it followed me all of my life. And I always felt like if I didn't have this, if I wasn't made this way, if I wasn't made to be cautious and quiet and think things through, if I could be more like these other people, I would be happier. I would have more fun. People would like me. I could be popular. I remember one day, years later, I was married, I had kids, and I was still struggling with this and feeling insecure, and I just didn't like the way I was. And I was driving somewhere, and I just had this thought out of the blue, which of course was God himself, the Holy Spirit. And he, he reminded me, that it was important for me to be that way. He said, you don't know 
what you escape. You don't know what you were saved from because you were not a part of that group of kids that you longed to be a part of. And I went, yes, Lord, you're right. I shared this story with a group of women about a month and a half ago at a, at a retreat. And one of the ones in the group, is we, we all shared, it was a much, much smaller retreat, and we all shared what our handicap was. And one woman said, I always felt like the odd person in my family because everybody else in my family, all my other siblings were just like my parents, and I was so different from anyone else. I always felt like the odd one out. I felt like I was a mistake my whole life. And it was a really powerful time of sharing what we have felt trapped by our entire lives. So I want you to think for a second, what were you born with that you have wished all of your life was not a part of who you are? Write that down on your notes if you know what it is. You may never see the reason why God did this in your life this side of heaven. You may never experience dramatic healing like the man born blind, but you can know without question that God did not make a mistake in your life. You can know he meant it for your good and he meant it for your glory, that the works of God might be displayed in you. The story of the man born blind finishes with Jesus going and finding this man and asking him, do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man who was now seeing said, yes, I believe. And he fell on his face and he worshiped Jesus. So my question for you and for me, will you be like the blind man who recognized his need who believed God intended good for him? Or will you be like the disciples who wanted control? Well, that is Barbara Rainey with a, with a penetrating question right That's there. That's a good question, end. frankly. I was listening to her and I was going, whoa. Yeah, we all want some level of control in our lives. We if do. things are out of control, nobody's comfortable in that situation. Right. Uh, I got a letter from a, a friend who is struggling right now, and she just uh, sent me a text to, to let me know that uh, it's real easy to say you can trust God, mm -hmm. but it's real difficult to do it mm -hmm. in the midst of the storm. Yeah. And that's what Barbara's talking about here. When you're disciples, you still have... Uh, the uh, wrong conclusion that you are in control and somehow you can, you can change your destiny. And I know a lot of people look at their past and wonder if they are disqualified from being a part of God's family because of the past. And yet the Apostle Paul, I think, gives us the <laughs> best evidence that uh, even if you were an accessory to murder, even if you hated the things of God— God can still welcome you into the family, and he tells us to forget what lies behind and to press on. I'm sorry, David, King David sinned and committed adultery and murder and uh, spoiled his son and on and on and on. But, you know, there's great hope for yeah. all of us broken human beings to realize God never gave up on him. He never stopped loving David. He never stopped loving Paul and uh, met him on the road to Damascus. So... Uh, God may be after somebody right now who's on the road, <laughs> and uh, he may be after you and wants your whole heart. The question is, how will you answer what Barbara said? Will you be like the blind man who cries out, mm -hmm. or will you negotiate with God and try 
to retain control. Well, if, if you missed any portion of Barbara's message today, or if you'd like to hear the message in its entirety, you can go to our website, familylifetoday.com, download the file, or listen online. Barbara's message is titled, God is Enough for Our Past, Present, and Future. And again, it's available online at familylifetoday.com. There's also a link there to Barbara's blog and the Everthine Home website. Again, go to familylifetoday.com. And by the way, uh, here in a few weeks, we're going to be releasing the brand new book that you and Barbara have written together called The Art of Parenting. And we wanted to let our listeners know, if you'd like to get a copy of this book as soon as it's available, we're sending it out early to those of you who can help us with a donation this month in support of this ministry. We've had a friend who has come to the ministry and offered to match any donation we received during the month of August, dollar for dollar, up to a total of $500,000. It's a great end-of-summer challenge for us here at the ministry. And we're trying to rally as many listeners as possible to uh, be a part of this matching gift challenge. If you can help us, we will send you a copy of Dennis and Barbara's new book, The Art of Parenting, as soon as it's available. Uh, This book is a companion to the Art of Parenting video series that has recently been released. A lot of couples, a lot of churches are using this content in small groups or for parenting classes in the church. In fact, some of the churches are showing our movie, Like Arrows, as a kickoff event to help launch these Art of Parenting classes. And if you'd like information about that, you'll find it online at familylifetoday.com. But if you can help with a donation today, we will send you an early copy of The Art of Parenting as soon as it's in from the publisher. Make your donation online at familylifetoday.com or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. You can also mail your donation to us along with your request for Dennis and Barbara's new book. Send your donation to Family Life Today at Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas, and our zip code is 72223. Don't forget your donation will be matched dollar for dollar during the month of August, and we hope to hear from you. Finally, if you've not yet signed up for our back-to-school prayer challenge for parents, we want to send you 30 days of prayer prompts via email so that each day you've got a new topic to be praying for for your children as they get ready to head back to school. Some kids are already back at it in certain parts of the country. So again, go to familylifetoday.com and sign up for the 30-day parenting prayer challenge and then look for those daily prayer prompts in your email inbox. And be sure to join us back tomorrow. We will hear part two from Barbara Rainey about God being enough for our past, our present, and our future. That comes up tomorrow. Hope you can be with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.